This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Dirt is a highly immersive audio experience. To make sure you catch all the details, headphones are highly recommended. Dirt, an audio drama, is a production of Studio 5705. Chapter 2 A quick content warning. This episode features the sound of a car suddenly screeching to a halt. Listener discretion is advised, especially if you're driving. I hear the woman and the man speaking in their strange language. She's cleaning up after breakfast, and he's tending to the boat's noisy engine. A strange engine, with large pipes and valves and wheels, like something out of a history museum. When he's satisfied with the pop and chug of the old Frisco standard, he gazes out to sea and packs some tobacco in his pipe and lights it, sending aromatic puffs of blue smoke into the moist marine air. Several long poles extend over the port and starboard sides of the wooden trawler, with multiple fishing lines running off of each into the gray water. The man and the woman don't seem to notice me, even when I gesture at them. They go about their business, steering the boat, cleaning the salmon they've caught, opening and closing hatches. I observe them doing this for some time until I hear the woman say loudly to her husband, Tuola Kaukana, on PNA Vene. She's pointing at something over the bow of the boat. Her husband walks forward to join her, and together, they stare at the rolling waves. Suddenly, I'm standing directly behind them, straining to see what they see. And then, I notice it. Something small, rising and falling, coming into and out of view with each giant wave crest. The woman turns to me, her eyes meeting mine for the first time and says in words that I now understand. There, far off, is a small boat. I see its shape more clearly. It's flat, like a canoe. The man steers the trawler in its direction, and we strain to keep sight of it. Somehow I know there's something in the boat that I need to see. Yet with each new sighting, as we rise to the top of the waves, the boat is tinier and tinier. We try to keep up with it, but it's drifting away. It seems to be on the edge of the world now, a tiny dot on the horizon. It drops below the line where the water meets the sky, and then it's gone. I 
something to get me going. Ah, connect to speaker. Okay, before you point out all the obvious explanations to me about the letter that I showed Kim, like that maybe it had simply been held up in the mail all these years, and that has actually happened, by the way. Just the other day, I read an article about pieces of mail that were delivered decades after they were sent. One letter in particular was sent by a mother in 1969 to a Brooklyn address, wishing her then 19-year-old daughter a happy birthday. It didn't arrive until 2014, 45 years late, and long after the mother had passed on. So sure, that kind of thing happens sometimes. Letters get lost in the mail. But in my case, the letter I received from IMO was sent to my current address, an address I've had for only two months. So the next likely explanation, that somebody's messing with me. I mean, yeah, of course this could be it. The thing about the letter though, besides the generic courier typewriter font on the envelope, is that it's handwritten on my grandparents' stationery. That's part of the reason Kim was so floored. We all know that stationery. When I was a kid, I received a lot of letters from my grandmother, as did Kim and Eric and everyone else. Vivian would write about the weather, about who had visited recently and what they were up to, which flowers were in bloom on her patio, those kinds of things. The stationery had her and Imo's names embossed at the top. I compared the letter I received 10 days ago with a few of the letters from Vivian that I've kept over the years, and to my eye, the stationery is the same. And the handwriting is just like Imo's, from what I've seen in letters that he sent to my parents and others. It even has their red rose embossed at the bottom of the stationery. So then, the third explanation, that somebody is acting on my grandfather's behalf 30 years later. If Imo really did write the letter, and I'm not being pranked, this seems the most likely option. That he wrote it back in the 80s and left instructions with someone to deliver it to me at a specific time. But who would that be? And how would they know me today? And why wait 30 years? And if the someone who's doing this knows my current address, what else do they know? And what else might they be planning? My brain won't let any of this go. Instead of being laser focused like I usually am on Monday mornings, I walk into my first meeting of the day dying to know what's hidden in a small wooden boat adrift at sea. Angela hands me a brief at the door, two pages of project objectives and audience insights. We're doing a fast turn project for a new client, a potentially huge new client. I don't normally get this involved in the day-to-day -day deliverables anymore, but if we kill this, and if we don't kill ourselves with infighting on the team, it should lead to a very nice contract. Molecular is observing us in action from their Berlin office for the first time today to evaluate our methodology. So the stakes are doubly high to perform at our best. Okay, everybody, grab your seats. Let's do this. Is room B ready? Checking right now. Bingo. Is molecular patched in? Looks like, yes. Okay, we're running. Are you ready to get started? I sure am. What is it I'll be doing exactly? <laughs> There are four others here in room A, and through the one-way mirror in front of us, I can see Ela, who's our information architect, and the test subject, sitting at a small desk in the much brighter adjoining room. Ela has her laptop open, and its screen reflects in her glasses every time she looks at it. On the desk in front of the test subject is a smartphone. Everything that happens on the phone is displayed on the large monitor in our room, 
Robert, who's sitting a couple of desks in front of me, types something into a messaging app on his laptop, and Ela acknowledges it. Okay, Helen. Looks like we're all set. I'm going to hand you this phone. Here you go. And I'm going to ask you to accomplish certain tasks today. I'm not going to tell you how to accomplish them. That's up to you. There's no time limit and absolutely no pressure. I can answer questions if you need me to, but I'd prefer that you try to work out the solution by yourself. Does that sound okay? Sure. Wow, this is a nice phone. Definitely better than the old clunker I have. Guess it's time for an upgrade or update or whatever they call it. Yeah. The point of the test is to determine the efficacy of our prototype. Specifically, the client asked us to come up with a solution that adds clarity and that reduces the number of steps needed for users to access things on the app. And by extension, to remedy all the one-star ratings and crushingly bad reviews the app has been getting. Our prototype was built by Ela and a developer under Angela's supervision. Okay, now, what does this first screen feel like to you? Well, it looks like a homepage basically, like a summary of Ela is the youngest person on our team, just a few months out of grad school. Okay, good. We recruited her pretty hard as in our competition. Aside from her outstanding master's thesis on emerging behaviors in digital currency, she shows a lot of leadership potential. Angela Our most senior project lead hasn't taken as kindly to Ela's quickly rising star and fresh ideas. The two have been butting heads over which direction to go in with the prototype, with Ela's solutions thus far winning over the team. So that's mainly why I'm here, to keep the peace, particularly since Molecular is watching. But it hasn't been easy, especially with Angela. Okay. Now, Let's say that the main reason you're using the app is because you need to find the results for recent lab test. Lab test? Those are on the app? Yeah. Well, lab results. Wow. Well, I see on the home screen there are three buttons. One says my prescriptions, one says my coverage. On the monitor in our room, we see that she selects my medical, my medical history. history. Angela, who's been still as a statue up to this point, begins writing in her notebook. Okay. Now, can you describe for me the screen that the app took you to? Ooh. Ooh, I like this. Everything is presented so it's simple. It's different than the rest. Did you design it this way? Without even glancing her way, I can tell Angela has that look on her face. Should we click and find out if Jane has herpes? <laughs> <laughs> Tell Ela to go back to the homepage and ask the subject how she would go about printing out her lab results. Two people in front of us turn around, startled by Angela's voice. Robert obediently types a message to Ela. Ela looks at her laptop, then quickly at the window toward us, then back at the laptop. Well, hopefully Jane doesn't have herpes. <laughs> But let's try one more thing. Let's go back to the home screen again. Okay, good. Now, let's say you want to print out the lab results, maybe to share with your spouse or partner. From here in the app, how would you go about doing that? Well, I guess I'd click. <laughs> I keep saying click, don't I? Is it tap? Ela is typing on her laptop. A moment later, Robert turns to face Angela. She says we haven't gotten that far with the prototype yet. Angela raises her eyebrows. I thought the prototype was test ready. I guess it's not. Looks like we'll have to pause until all the bugs can be worked out. Um 
I don't think that's a bug. Printing isn't part of the testing regimen today. We need to be ready to test all scenarios. Otherwise, we're just wasting company time bringing people in too early. But printing is on the list of value adds we're taking back to the client, correct? Yes. We all know where this is going. Angela is going to push for another round of revisions, which means more testing, a missed deadline, probably going over budget, an unexpected conversation with Molecular, and more tension on the team. So much for making a positive first impression. She's not wrong, but it's not what we need right now. I'm sorry, Joseph. I was given the impression we were ready to go. Clearly, we are not. I'm looking, and I don't see a way to print from here. How many more features are we adding? Nine. And how many more tests scheduled? Eleven. Today and tomorrow. Okay. Let's cancel the rest of the tests for today. Printing isn't a deal breaker, but I agree we should get all the additional features into the prototype and then test everything concurrently. And no later than one week from today. I'll handle talking to the client. Everyone clear? Robert types into his messaging screen, and Ela looks up at us through the window again. She can't see me, so it's no use giving her a look of understanding. Instead, I turn to Angela and ask her to be in my office in 10 minutes. Okay, Helen. That's all we need for today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, that was fast. Oh, honey, you don't look too happy. Did I pass the test? Oh, you did just fine, Helen. Yes, you passed. Maybe you were hoping our prototype would be something a little more interesting, like a super-secret classified tool for the NSA. Or maybe something shadowy for an under-the-radar tech startup with reams of non-disclosure agreements. The truth is, we do do some of that secret stuff. But most of what we do is pretty routine. Companies hire us when things are broken. We take what they have and make it better. We apply behavioral science. We test. We iterate. We test some more. If you actually enjoy logging in and paying your utility bill, or don't mind getting reminded to take the vitamins that you ordered from a supplements app, that's probably because of us. I won't recount my whole conversation with Angela, except to say I made it clear I thought calling out Ela in front of everyone over such a small detail was petty. I've worked with Angela for a long time, and we can be blunt with each other. She told me that I was favoring Ela, and that I really needed to think about what fair means. Fair enough. But I reminded Angela that Ela was intentionally given more responsibility on this project, so we could see how she'd respond. I'd hoped that Angela would handle the whole thing better. When she stormed out of my office, it left a pit in my already churning stomach. You want to take a walk? That's my assistant, Mel. She's unique. I've had some assistants who are routinely two, maybe five steps behind. Mel is different. Mel is usually steps ahead. You seem distracted. Plus, I overheard some of your chat with Angela. Yeah. Not how I plan to spend my morning. I ordered lunch for you. It'll be here in an hour, after you get back. How do you do that? I just ordered it off a website. No, I mean, how do you know what's going to happen before it happens? It's like your future, Mel. Just be careful. Last time you took a walk, you had five people stop you for selfies. 
You're supposed to keep a low profile. It wasn't a PR stunt, I promise. Okay, well, I've been saving this for the right time. If you're gonna take a walk... Mel hands me a clear package that I can see right away has round-rimmed sunglasses in it, along with a mustache, beard, and sideburns. An early Halloween gift? You're joking. Do I look like I'm joking? No. Come to think of it, you rarely do. I take the elevator down to the parking garage. It's easier to exit the building from here without being noticed. I really don't like keeping a low profile, but with my dating life making the news, plus Molecular being super sensitive to media attention that isn't strictly business, our PR department has us on alert. Me, specifically. So much so, that even a casual walk down the street is frowned upon. To humor Mel, I stop at my car and use the rearview mirror to put on the sunglasses, mustache, beard, and eyebrows. Yep, there are eyebrows too. Mostly so I can send her a selfie. Huh. But the disguise actually doesn't look as fake as I thought, Not bad. so I keep it on. I leave my car and wave to the parking attendant, who shakes his head at my appearance and gives me an I don't want to know look as I step out of the garage and onto the sidewalk. I've lived in this city for most of my life, and still, when Seattle goes full summer, and I'm talking blue sky, puffy white clouds, and a scorching 82 degrees, it still surprises me how beautiful it is. But that was a couple of months ago. Today, it's a normal October day. Light rain and a cool 54 degrees. It'll be like this for most of the next five months. Our office is located in Belltown, the part of downtown that's changed the most in the last 15 years. What once was a gritty neighborhood of low-rent, dated apartments and storefronts with high crime is now the home of Christian Grey from the Fifty Shades series. Glassy new high-rises tower over crowded eateries and urban dog parks. Busy millennials, thousands of them, many of them tech employees, crowd the surrounding streets during lunch hour with badges clipped to their pockets. A streetcar runs through it all the way down Westlake Avenue, passing biotech firms, stylish home furnishing stores, vegan restaurants, artfully designed food trucks, urban supermarkets, and more. Belltown is the postcard for Seattle's extreme gentrification, yet elements of its rough past persist. Heroin needles, for one, and people in need, asking for help on street corners or napping in alcoves and covered entrances to buildings. And then, there's my personal favorite, not because I'm a patron, but because it's basically a giant middle finger to the world around it. An adult emporium, right across the street from where I'm walking, painted bright pink with an equally bright LED sign right out front, located steps away from the beating heart of the prime delivery empire. With this dumb disguise on that Mel gave me, oh yeah, I'm still wearing it, and so far I've stayed anonymous. I guess if there ever was a time to pay a visit, now would be it. Instead, I get in line at a nearby noodle shop, until I remember that oh, Mel ordered out, me lunch, which makes yep. me remember why I went for a walk in the first place, to clear my mind. I wish it was working, but all I can think about is the letter. I'm not used to sharing mental or emotional space with things that aren't work, which is probably why I'm no longer sharing a bed with a giant St. Bernard. I thought that watching Super 8 movies over the weekend with Kim and talking to her about what's going on would make me feel more at ease, but instead, I'm even more preoccupied. Speaking of the letter, you're probably wondering what's in it, why it has me fixating on home movies from decades ago 
and dreaming of IMO stories. Let's just say the letter has some very specific information in it. Not just information, instructions. Things connected to his and my past. And it's unmistakably written in Imo's voice. Almost as if he did send it two weeks ago. Things like... Hey, idiot! Stay out of the crosswalk! I had a green light! I could have killed you! Sorry. Sorry. I, I wasn't... I wasn't paying attention. I... <sighs> okay. Okay. Mustache. Beard. Okay. Eyebrows. Eyebrows. Where? Where's the other eyebrow? Okay. There. Put it back on. Hey, man. Are, are you okay? Did you get hit? Should we call 911? No! Please, don't. I mean... Uh, uh, I'm not hurt. Thank you, though. My glasses. Hey, any chance you see my glasses anywhere? Hey, can you... <clears throat> can, can you... Can you not take photos? I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay, man. Here are your glasses. They're right over there. Looks like that car got him pretty good, though. Let me help you get up. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I'm just, I'm just gonna get going here. I'm all right. Okay, if you say so. Hey, is your mustache okay? It's kind of leaning off to one side now. Gotta go. Thanks again. Several drivers are standing next to their cars now, with their doors open, waiting for me to get out of the crosswalk. I really hope I was able to get that eyebrow back on before anyone noticed. I start walking to the other side of the street so I can hide somewhere fast. Then I see something, not far away, a small piece of white plastic. I stoop down and grab it, holding on to the eyebrow to make sure it stays on, and quickly cross the street, passing through the crowd gathered there and walk up a few blocks. When I'm pretty sure no one's following, I enter a storefront near a construction zone. It's a coffee shop. I asked to use the bathroom. Uh, yeah, sure. It's that way. saw what happened. Are you still at the office? You're trending on Twitter. What? Well, not you personally. Hashtag costume jaywalker is trending. <sighs> might be the most fun people are having since man and tree. Shit. I don't think anyone knows it was you, but people are zooming in on the part where you put your eyebrow back on. If I wasn't so worried about you right now, I think it was pretty funny myself. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the bathroom at, where, where am I? Uh, I'm at Roasted, on 4th. Oh, fuck. Uh. 
Well, can you come to me? Help me get back to the office, quietly? I'm already on my way. Maybe if I get back to work unnoticed, this all goes away. I mean, nobody knows I'm here, right? I'll be there in five minutes. I look into the mirror and realize the disguise is still on. I take it off, piece by piece, and wrap it all in paper towels and bury them at the bottom of the wastebasket. What was I thinking? Who wears a goofy-looking costume on a crowded street in the middle of the day for no apparent reason, almost gets hit by a car, and then flees the scene and hides in a bathroom like a scared child? I try to work out in my head the quickest way back to the parking garage. I just need to hunker down here a little longer, unnoticed, and... Hey, you're gonna be in there for a while. Uh, yeah? A little while still? Man, they really need two bathrooms in this place. <sighs> I can already see the whole thing getting oh, twisted man. in the media. The more I'd try to explain that being costumed no, no, was a dumb no. work joke, the more I'd be made into the joke. Where are you, Mel? And the company, too. And it would be all my fault. I reach back into my pocket and grab my phone, and that's when I feel it. The thing I picked up in the crosswalk. I take it out and look at it in the dim light of the bathroom and see that it's a driver's license. I can't make out the small writing, so I turn on my phone's flashlight. I freeze. I'm out of the building, I'm walking down. Well. Change of plans. Okay. Can you get my car and meet me here? I don't think there's a mob waiting for me outside. At least not outside the bathroom door. Just some dude who couldn't hold it and went somewhere else, I think. Alright. I can unlock my car and start it from here. Just tell Asim you're getting it out of the garage for me. He knows you. The key card's in the console. Okay. And Mel, one more thing. Please cancel all my meetings today and tomorrow. Okay. I need to leave town for a little while. You need to do what? I need to go to Wapato. Dirt, an audio drama, is presented by Studio 5705 and is written, directed, and produced by me, Chris Cayella. This chapter features the voice talents of Ela Das as Ela, Cindy Seiler as Helen, Nicole Michelle's McDonough as Angela, Mark Field as Robert, Sarah Cayella as the project manager and barista, Jesse Brown as Mel, Stephen Matera as the car driver, Mike Grigg as the guy who helped out Joseph in the crosswalk, and John Dietrich as the dude who really needed to use the bathroom. I play the part of Joseph. For more information about Dirt, an audio drama, please visit dirtaudiodrama.com. Thank you very much for listening. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. 
Dum-dums and dice would like to welcome you to the grim darkness of the 41st millennium in the Valentine Heresy, an actual play podcast set in the Genesis adaptation of Warhammer 40,000's Dark Heresy RPG. Newly promoted Inquisitor Lucius Valentine has received visions of the death of the immortal God Emperor. With few options before him, he teams up with hive-bred criminal siblings Lyric and Alto. Together, they must defeat a cabal of shadowy foes to save the Emperor and the Imperium. Can this trio of unlikely heroes survive in a galaxy where there is only war? The Emperor is going to die in a year. My job is to make sure the Emperor doesn't die. Because if the Emperor dies, the Astronomicon goes out. And the only thing keeping the Imperium alive is the fact that we have a very large navy and a very large army and space marines, and they shoot everyone. It's delightful. Praise the Emperor. Thanks for that. But if the Astronomicon goes out, we have no navy, we have no ability to defend ourselves, and the Xenos and Chaos will overrun us instantly because there will be no defense. So every planet will turn out like Galen's glory? And that would be the best case scenario. Which is why we need to keep the Emperor on his throne. I spit in my palm and put my hand out for a handshake. Am I supposed to do something in return? Is this, I'm sorry, I just don't know what this is. Alto's like, yeah, like this. He spits in his hand and puts it out towards you as well. Then I spit in both palms and shake their hands separately. (laughs) We have an inquisitorial band. Warhammer 40,000, The Valentine Heresy, available now.